This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs is in his 41st year as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. I wanted to tell you what a great service you provide to this community. I listen to your show every week. Thank you for what you do for our community, for all the parents, coaches, and athletes. And now, here's your host, rated one of the best therapists in Kansas City, Missouri, by OnlineTherapy.com, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. As you know, I'm here every Sunday morning from 7 to 8 a.m., and we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. And, you know, I'm in my 42nd year of work now as a sports psychologist. I've had the privilege to work with so many different people, so many different athletes, coaches, teams, all across the board. And I've been here... Sports Radio 810 WHB for the last 22 years. I'm in my 32nd year on the radio. And I try to bring up topics that are pertinent to what's going on in the sports and life. And if you weren't aware, May has been Mental Health Awareness Month. And consequently, try to talk about issues that affect us as people, not just athletes, coaches, fans, but, you know, as people on this show, whether it's about Anxiety, pressure, stress, expectations. If you're, you know, one of the biggest problems with athletes, or say problems, issues athletes have, I found over the years is dealing with expectations. The expectations that are placed on them by themselves, teammates, coaches, fans, family, and how you deal with that. And for many people, it's not an issue. For a lot of people, it is. If you play sports, you have to deal with a lot of different areas during your career. You know, when you're a child playing sports, when you first get started, it should be about having fun, getting out there, hitting a ball, catching a ball, running, swimming, whatever it might be. As you move up into middle school, then you start getting on these teams where the score starts to become important. In high school, then the score starts to become important. And we get to high school, a lot of kids are weeded out of their teams because they're not good enough. I've always said if you make it to the collegiate level, you survived youth sports. If you make it to the professional level, you survived all of it. Once you get to the professional level, the pressures are enormous. I have worked throughout my 42 years with athletes in all all kinds of sports. Soccer, hockey, baseball, basketball, football, tennis, golf, swimming, cycling at the Olympic level. And I've seen what happens when things don't go well, when you get injured, when you get hurt. A lot of people have trouble dealing with that. A lot of people get addicted to unhealthy things. Every Tuesday night, I do a Facebook Live show where I interview different people, coaches and athletes, about these topics. And several weeks ago, I had the privilege to interview Scott Spezio. Scott played Major League Baseball for a number of years. He hit game-winning home run for the Angels in the 2002 World Series. Played on the Cardinals team that won the World Series as well in 2006. And enjoyed talking with him, and he's agreed to join us this morning. As it's Mental Health Awareness Month, Mental Health Awareness Month, excuse me on that, to just tell us his story, what happened. Because Scott was at the top, then he hit the bottom, and now he's back again. So, Scott, thanks for joining us again. I really appreciate you getting up this morning and, and talking with me. I, I'm really looking forward to, to our interview this morning. Well, thanks for having me and let me uh, share and. Hopefully we can we can help some people out there this morning. Well, that's that's why I do this show is is to help people 
deal with whatever's going on. And uh, you have a story to tell that I was really impressed with when we talked a few weeks ago. And I really want to get into today what happened and how you've come out of it. Um, I had mentioned to you before, Willie Mays Akins was on the show about a, uh, two months ago who who literally went through hell and has survived. He's a wonderful human being. I've gotten to know Willie over the years when I was the royal psychologist back back a while ago. And, you know, he hit rock bottom. And he's pulled himself out of it. You hit rock bottom. You pulled yourself out of it. How? How yep. did you do it, Scott? How did, how did you get go from the top to the bottom and now back out of it? Uh, <laughs> That's a loaded well, question, was, I know. It was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you want me to, to go into my story or do you want... Yeah, you want me to tell you how I got out of it. Let's let's start with your story, and then we're going to talk about how you got out okay. of it because we need to set it up. Okay, all right. So um, yeah, you you hit a lot of it. Um, you know, <clears throat> I grew up in a small town, uh, Morris, Illinois. Um, I think when when I first was growing up, we had about six thousand people, mostly farm farm town. Um, my grade school was about 75 kids, kindergarten through, uh, eighth grade. And, uh, it's, I'm, I'm pretty close to it. It's still about the same, um, out there. I'm probably a mile away from it and uh, a mile away from, from my parents' house where I grew up here. Um, town's grown a lot. It's up to 14,000 now. So <laughs> we're getting close to Chicago. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're physically we're about sixty miles southwest of Chicago, and um, my dad had uh, had played in the major leagues. Um, he's from Joliet, Illinois. Same with my mother and, and my grandparents and everybody. And and we're about oh, about twenty minutes, twenty five minutes from Joliet, Illinois. Um, my dad uh, started playing with the uh, Cardinals in 1964. Right out of college, he was in the World Series. Um, against the Yankees, uh, they won that. They won again in '67 against the Red Sox, and then lost in Game Seven um, to the Tigers uh, in '68. Um, after that, he was taken in the expansion with the uh, Pod- San Diego Padres. Uh, he hit the first home run, first RBI, first hit, and first run scored in Padre history. Um, and then, what year? Uh, what year was that, Scott? Bill Mel. That, that was 1969. I think the first game was April 8th, 7th or 8th, 1969. They were getting no hit in the fifth, and he hit a solo home run. Uh, they ended up winning the game 2-1. to one. Um, And then uh, that was when he, he didn't get to play much with the Cardinals because they were so good, and he was the third baseman. They had Ken Boyer in front of him, who was the MVP of the National League, and then, then Mike Shannon, who was a heck of a player, um, as well, and when he looked around the the infield and outfield, there wasn't too many holes. So um, he was he, he was blessed to have the opportunity to go and, and to play more in San Diego. And then he got traded when Bill Melton of the White Sox got hurt uh, in 1972. He got traded to the White Sox, which was pretty nice because he was back in his hometown and um, he started he started a furniture store here in Morris, Illinois, and was doing both. He was getting up around this time, going to work at his new furniture store, um, you know, getting in the car around 4.30, driving up to the park, getting dressed and playing a game at night. And uh, after the season of 72, which was the year I was born, I was born September 21st, 72. I think his last game was around September 26th or 27th of 72. And he hung him up because he was, it was, it was too much work. He wasn't making that much money in that time. You know, they didn't have free agency yet, and owners pretty much, you know, ruled everything and pretty much dictated exactly how much you were going to make. And he said, "Forget it." And, and let me, let me, let me, yeah, let me interrupt you there for a second because that yeah. that's a story I've I've heard from countless uh, older athletes. They they played their sport, but they also had another job. Because they weren't making, I mean, oh, yeah. it's not like it is today, obviously, where he's, you know, you're making millions millions of dollars. Back then, you're making, luck, if you're lucky and you're good, you made 
several thousand dollars, but you needed a side job yeah. to help pay your expenses. So your dad did both, which is quite admirable. Yeah. Oh, he had to. Yeah, I think I, I, I remember I went to fantasy camp and somebody had um, somehow got their hands on an old contract. And my dad's contract was, I think it was $8,000 like in 1967. That was after they'd been, you know, uh, in the World Series. Um, you know, it, it's just crazy. And I don't think he ever made more than like $12,000. Um, and when you're traveling around with three kids, uh, that's a lot. It's not a lot of money. So he'd have to go play in Venezuela and uh, Dominican Republic and um, in the off season. Have uh, he said he sold carpet, used cars, uh, all sorts of stuff in the off season, trying to make ends meet. And uh, what did what did your what did your dad? Let me ask you. Let me interrupt you here again, if I can. What did your dad's sure. story say to you about about himself, and what did that teach you about about life? Well, um, you know, gr- growing up, uh, since I had a major league dad, I mean, uh, I just I just saw how hard he worked, and my dad, you know, he'd always tell me he's like, "You're either going to be a valedictorian or you're going to be a major league baseball player. You're, you're gonna you got to work hard or something. I'm not going to just let you." drift through life and so i'm like yeah you know look at looking at him i'm like man i want to make the majors because i don't want to have to do you know do all the things that he did and um you know because both him and my mom worked extremely hard you know and with three young young kids um i I don't know how they do it sometimes you know and they're still going (laughs) they still got all all their properties and um, their storefronts and um, it's, it's apartments and things like that, and you know he'll be like, "Let's go up on the roof and tar today." You know, I'm like, "Dad, you're 81 and I'm 50. Let's let's hire somebody." He's like, "Not. Nah, let's do it." <laughs> and we'll be up on the third story of his his uh, furniture store, you know, tarring. So it, it just the work ethic and determination, and he went about. Uh, everything like that in his whole life he was he became after he retired he became an incredible golfer after never um playing before he just went out and hit for like a year straight all he did was practice on the range and hit golf ball after golf ball and he'd he'd be putting in our in our dining room uh you know every morning he'd be just be putting and and he turned into you know a a scratch golfer Uh, he had the course record for a while i think was a 65 um, you know, was club champion all the time. And, um, so I, I just saw the way he worked and it, and it just rubbed off on me and he, he pushed me a lot. So let me, know? let me, let me ask this question, Scott, your, your dad obviously has had a tremendous positive impact on your life. When you yeah. got into drug use and alcohol and everything, what memories, what advice, how, how did what he taught you help you get Pull yourself out of things. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, he, he just basically said we just got to get through it, you know. Um, he, he didn't know anything about, um, you know, about it because nobody in our family had had addiction or anything like that, and so, um, you know, he he it came up on them and they weren't. You know, they were kind of shocked that it happened, and then he said, all right, it's just, we either do it or you're going to die, basically, you know? And, and so, um, you know, they went to, they went down to St. Louis and, and did some um, some learning on their own with the seminars and, and meetings and um, read books and watched as many videos as they could um, with people, you know, that were suffering like me and... and uh, you know, they, they help me every step of the way, you know. I'm sports um, psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm talking with former World Series hero Scott Spezio. He's, he's, he's sharing his story with us this morning. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. And, and, and Sorry to interrupt you here, Scott, but I want to throw this out there. You know, you're, you're, you have a message to share with people that I want to get into here because 
you know, you 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 were at the pinnacle. I mean, you hit the game-winning home run in the World Series with the with the Angels. You played in the World Series and won with the Cardinals, basically a hometown team. Um, yet you you ended up. If, if, I want you to get into the story about what happened with you with you know when you tripped and how you got into painkillers and everything, and then how you fell how how yeah. things fell apart before we go to a break. So if you if you move to that now, because I think that I, yeah, I want to sure. set everything up to how you pulled yourself out. Yeah. So. You know, just just talking about the work ethic and stuff. My dad, you know, worked really hard with me um, my whole life, and um, you know, I played in, in uh, college, like you you talked about at the opening. Uh, you know, I, I went to University of Illinois, got drafted out in the sixth round by the the Oakland A's. Um, was up within three years um, to the major leagues. Um, you know, started pretty much all three of those years and made arbitration and then they didn't want to sign me so I went to the Angels um, <clears throat> you know I had a really good group of friends uh, my Christian my Christian walk um, started um, pretty solid in, in college and then you know through the minor leagues and uh, you know I had a chaplain as a as, as a um, host family in Modesto, California high A and um, through Oakland, I had a great bunch of guys, Buddy Grooms, uh, Scott Brosius, um, and, you know, we'd go and talk at schools and stuff. I always, I was a big dare guy, um, you know, coming through the minor minor leagues and major leagues uh, all the way through Oakland and then went to the Anaheim. And as you mentioned, we, you know, I became, I ended up becoming the starting uh, first baseman there. I was the starting second baseman in Oakland, became the starting first baseman in, in Anaheim. And, uh, you know, had the, had a big home run, had 19 RBIs in the playoffs. Um, all things that my dad prepared me for through visualization and, and situational uh, hitting and, and things like that um, from, the, from a young age. And um, I didn't really want to leave there. I had four of my best years there. I had a great group of guys, you know, David Eckstein, uh, Tim Salmon, Garrett Anderson, Orlando Palmero, Benji Molina, Jose Molina. Um, we had a great chap chaplain there. Um, we used to held, you know, hold each other accountable on the road and, and have Bible studies and things like that. And uh, because if you're a major league you know, baseball player, if, if you're a major league baseball player, and I know because I spent a number of years as the Kansas City Royals sports psychologist for one of the first sports psychologists in baseball uh, back in 1990, and then again several years later, the road trips open the door to all kinds of things if, if you, you don't get yourself together, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, it, it's nothing against baseball, of course. But, you know, I'm sure it's like that in most sports, but, um, you know, alcohol was a huge part of, you know, after the game, you know, guys winding down. Um, you know, there was, you know, for years, you know, my dad would talk about, you know, guys taking greenies, uh, to get up for games. Which are uppers. You know, I think, which are uppers. He said people would eat them like M&M's, you know, um, put them in the coffee. And, um, you know, I, I was never into any of that stuff. I, I really didn't like, um, you know, uh, alcohol that much. I'd drink every once in a while. Um, I never, I didn't even like taking aspirin um, or Tylenol or things like that. Um but yeah, there's tons of temptation around. Um, you know, there. Shoot, when, you know, when I got to Oakland, there was tons of guys doing steroids. Of course, you've, you've read the the Jose Canseco book, probably. Um, and I was able to avoid all that. You know, there's girls throwing themselves at you at every hotel you go to. Um, you know, and and there's just there's. there's Every quarter, somebody wants something from you, and and they're they're willing to do whatever they can to get you know to be with you or be a part of your your story. And 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 and, uh, so and, and ninety nine percent and ninety nine percent of the time, these people didn't care about you; they just cared about being with you. And that's where exactly. that's where so many yeah. of these problems have occurred. I, I know for a fact; I've seen it when I've worked with with these professional teams, traveling with them. I've seen what goes on. And so you resisted the temptations, and yet you ended yep. up in Seattle, 
and you had an injury, yep. and share what happened. That you were with the Cardinals, won the World Series, and you ended up with with Seattle, and you have an injury. And let's share share that before we go to our first break here. Tell us, tell everybody what happened, and then yeah, we'll, we'll come so, back from that. So uh, I I signed I had signed with Seattle after you know the four great years in Anaheim. I really didn't want to leave Anaheim, but they had uh, made some choices. Um, I was in the spring training game. Um, and uh, there was a pop up to over the mounds, and I was playing deep third, and uh, and I ran in as fast as I could, expecting basically, you know, the shortstop or the second baseman or somebody to to call me off, but nobody did. So I was running full speed, looking up, and it, w- it wasn't a very high pop up. It was it was you know somewhat shallow, uh, you know, not very high. And uh, when I ran in. I was full speed, and, and I was looking up as I caught the ball at the same time my my foot hit the side of the mound, and it was just a freak thing. Like, it, in my back, I just felt my back just, like, something happened, you know, and, and uh, I turned to, I caught the ball, which was amazing, and I, I turned to Richard and I, to toss him the ball, and I said, I think I just blew my back out. And he goes, really? And and I said, yeah, and, and uh, we finished the inning. I kind of made my way back to the dugout. You know, I told my manager, and I think it was, that might have been like the last inning, and, and I went over to uh, to run because we were supposed to run with our strength coach afterwards, and I could barely run. And um, I ended up going home that, that night, and like the, that night when I got home, I laid on the ground with my kids and stuff, and, and I just, it was like I couldn't move. And so the next morning I got up and I thought, oh, I'll go in early and I'll get in the, in the cold tub and, um, or the cold tub and in the hot tub and get it loose. And I, I did and I tried to lift weights and then I, I tried to hit and, and I could barely hit. And my manager, Bob Melvin's like, they just shut it down. And I'm like, no, no, no. And, and I no, but I and you didn't. You didn't, so you didn't shut it down because that was you. It was like I'm going to work right, at it. I'm going to push it because that was your mindset. That was your makeup, right? And 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 that. Yeah, because. Go ahead. Yeah, everybody told me you can't make the club in the tub. You know that was avoid the training room. If you go in the training room and tell them that you're hurt in any way, that somebody will take your job. And so I was like, I'm not. I never. I tried never telling them that I was hurt, you know. And so, yeah, I I tried. I even was in the lineup for that game. I ended up playing third the first inning, and then the, the next inning I went to to hit. I hit a ground ball, and when I took two steps out of the box, I just collapsed, and and they basically carried me off the field. And we went to uh, several doctors in Arizona. And all of them were like, "Man, this is bad." You, you know, you, you've uh, you put you, your spine, your T six and T seven have ruptured, and you know they're they're pushing fluid into your spinal cord. And if you get any, if you push any more out, it could sever it, and you could be, you know, you could be paralyzed. You know, and, and you're probably not going to play again. And um, and that's you know, I just I just kept me man, just away like I. I've worked my whole life. I finally, you know, I've done what I, I wanted to do. I, I got a long-term deal. You know, I've been super faithful. I've, you know, kind of a poor me thing. I never got to have any fun. And uh, and then, boom, and this then happens to you. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. We're going we're gonna yeah, to stop for a second, Scott. I want, I want to go to our break because we've got to do that here. And then sure. we're going to come back. And then I want to talk in this next segment what happened and how you fell. And he hit bottom because we're going to talk about that. And then when we come back after our last break, you're going to talk about how you pulled yourself out of it. I'm sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm talking with Scott Spezio, two-time World Series champion, the son of a World Series champion. He's got a tremendous story to share. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. and I want everybody to hear this because Scott's message people need to hear because it's going to help you overcome negativity and problems and stress. I'm sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. We're on the leader in sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Hello again, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour here on our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB here in Kansas City. And 
Today I'm having a great interview with former Major League Baseball player Scott Spezio, who's been kind enough to join us for the whole show this morning as it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And Scott has a story that everybody needs to hear because we all deal with some of the pressures and stressors that, that he's had at some point in our lives. Either either we have to deal with it or a family member or a close friend does. And Scott, as we went to the break, we, we talked about your injury. You got hurt. So tell us what happened then. At, at, you know, after this injury and and the problems that started to happen for you. Yeah, so um, it was really the first uh, major injury I'd had in my life. Um, I've had a, a small meniscus tear in Oakland, um, but I was back in five weeks. Um, other than that, you know, I'd really never had to deal with, you know, too much, uh, too much adversity. Um, um, other, you know, other than getting sent down in '99 from from uh, Oakland, um, but yeah, sent down to the minor leagues is down. what you mean. They say sent down, go down to the minor leagues. Yeah, right, right. Um, so this was the first, you know, major thing, you know, potentially, you know, life changing thing. Um, and so I, you know, I, I went around to as many doctors as I could. You know, most of them said, you know, you're going to have to have a lung, you know, we're going to have to wait till June, you know, uh, collapse your lung, um, take out a rib, you know, put rebar along your spine, and, and it's a really risky Oh, my God. Um, surgery. That's, yeah, that that just sounds yeah. terrible. That sounds terrible. Yeah, and there was only, like, one or two guys that did this. You know, thoracic injuries are, are like car, car crash injuries. You know, they're not – they usually don't happen in sports. Very, You know, very rarely they do. But And so, uh, you know, I finally I finally went to one doctor, basically, that I think he was the team doctor, and he said, hey, as long as – your spinal cord is thick, as long as you, um, you know, can withstand the pain, you can play, which is the worst thing to say to me, you know. But, um, you know, during that time, I, you know, I, I started rehabbing. I started, uh, you know, traveling with the team and, you know, trying to do as much work as I could. But let know, me let me let me ask you, you said that's the worst thing that somebody could say to me because of your work ethic, because you didn't you were the type of guy that just pushed it all the time. Right. So yeah, for you, that yeah, meant, well, OK, I'm yeah. going to go for it. I'm going to put it, I'm going to go after it. Yeah, I mean, through my whole life, you know, I I'd smash a finger, I'd hit with you know one finger off the bat and one finger taped to another out of the glove, and I'd just figure a way to do it, you know, sprained ankles, tape me up, let's go, you know, whatever it was, you know, my knee knee was injured, uh, I'm, you know, they say you're coming coming back in in eight to ten weeks, I'm coming back in five, five weeks, or six, you know? yeah, that's the your your mindset was, yeah. your mindset, Scott was. Nobody's going to tell me what I can't do. I'm going to prove them wrong. Exactly. exactly. And so, so so here you are injured, I, and you're going to try and prove everybody yeah, wrong. Yeah. But but what happened, though? What happened? How did you start yeah, so, going down that, that slide? So, so I started, uh, I started. you know, just I, I didn't have that group of guys that I had, you know, in Oakland and, and uh, in um, Anaheim yet. You know, I, I, I was on a new team. You know, a lot of there was a, a lot of time missed. I hadn't really established that any real strong relationships yet. And uh, when I was on the road, I, I you know, I, I usually would bring a guitar and and write songs. And you know, and I, I thought, well, I better um, I better go out and meet some of the guys and stuff. So I went down to the hotel bar, um, which I never never did. Uh, very, very rarely. If I was there, I was probably there, you know, occasionally for like, you know, 15 minutes or something. And uh, so I started going and, and then, you know, got to know some of the guys. They they started, I, I, like I said, I didn't really like alcohol. Um, you know, went from that, that bar to another bar, uh, started drinking Jack and Coke with them because they were telling me I was sipping my beer, and uh, which was the truth. And and I I started drinking that, and and then before you know it, I started liking it, you know, and I just kept going out with them, and um, and then it, you know, because I I didn't have the pressure of playing the next day, I wasn't really worried if it was going to affect my play, you know, I, I started kind of wanting to fit in with this new team, you know, and and there was guys on the team I'm sure that, you know, would have would have 
helped me out in a better way. Not that these guys were were bad guys. This is what they did. They could control it, you know. But unaware to me, um, you know, I was one of those guys that once I got addicted to something like practice or whatever, you know, um, it was hard for me to stop. And so I, I started drinking. I got in this routine. And uh, before you know it, I was doing other stupid things and making bad decisions. And, and uh, you know, ultimately, um, you know, I ended up coming back and playing um, that year, which I should have never done. You know, I ended up hitting 215, 10 home runs, 50 RBIs, and, you know, 300 at-bats or so, And uh, which, you know, back then wasn't that great. Nowadays, it's pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, so then I started feeling bad. I ended up, you know, uh, go, having an affair and, and uh, you know, basically – um, ruining my marriage and, and, uh, it just, I started doing things that weren't me and totally out of my character. Why, why do and, you think, uh, let me, let me ask you this question. Why, why did this happen to you? I mean, here, you're a guy who, you, you did things the right way, you worked hard, great role models for your parents, yet, yet, the bottom started to fall out. And it's like, it, it sounds like, you're on a slip and slide. You just couldn't stop, and yeah. let one thing led to another. Why? Yeah. Why was that? Why did that happen? I, you know, that, that's a tough question. I don't. I don't really know what it was. I think I was kind of mad at the world because I was like, man, you know, like I'm at. I just started figuring out how to hit, and my defense was really good, no matter where you put me. And uh, you know, I I just had the highs of the the world series and and then i'm like what you know what's going on here you know and you know is this am i am i on my downfall downslide you know physically or you know and i and then once you start you know drinking on top of it um you just start making bad you know bad choices and then guilt and shame jumped in you know and and uh and you know i, I was raised catholic and there's there was a lot of guilt and shame, um, and so I, for my, my way to deal with it was just to keep was to do more, and, and right? Be, the guilt, the yeah. guilt, and the shame that you felt resulted in you just doing more right. and more and more, and you fell into that hole. Yeah. And so, tell everybody what happened. Did, you, you, yeah. How you hit? How you, how did you hit bottom, Scott? How did you hit bottom? What happened? Yeah. So, so I, you know, I ended up um, um, getting released from. Well, I had a fair. Ended up getting divorced and then marrying that girl. Um, she was from Southern California. You know, she had um, grown up with drugs all around her. Um, and eventually, after a year and a half with her, um, I ended up, uh, you know, trying drugs. But before that, you know, I got released from Seattle um, because I, you know, I, I basically come became worthless to him. Um, you know, and they, they're like, they were kind of tired of the act. Um, let me, let me now, ask you a question. Let me ask you a question right there. You said you were worthless to them. Did yeah. you feel worthless to yourself then? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, you know, I, I was always one of those guys that, you know, I'd come into the clubhouse and people, would, you know, Troy personally even told me, and he's like, man, when you came into the club, you were like one of the few guys I, I was, always waiting for to come into the club. I was looking forward to because you're always smiling. You, you know, you made the team uh, perk up and, you know, and he goes, and then, you know, later on he played with me in, in St. Louis and he's like, and man, you were a different person, you know? And, and um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I, I didn't really feel um, like myself at all, you know, and because of that, you know, I, I treated him, I, I basically, you know, destroyed myself, and I ended up, you know, um, getting a second chance with the Cardinals and kind of pulled myself together that year, but it, right before then, after I got released from from the uh, from the uh, Seattle Mariners, I tried cocaine for the first time. Um, you know, I, I was one of those guys that never saw a drug until I was, you know, about 33 and a half, and, um, and then, you know, my, my new wife was like, hey, you know, give it a shot it's not so bad and you know I, i'd been drinking of course and and tried it and i thought oh it's not so bad you know it, it kind of wakes you up and 
And, uh, you know, I didn't really do it that much. I, I signed with uh, St. Louis, which was a, like almost like a, I, I had felt like I had a new a breath, you know, and, and uh, I went down to spring training, had had number 26 in my locker, which was my dad's locker. We end, I ended up having a great year that year. I, I'm still drinking, but not not crazily drinking. I'm not really using until, like, late in August I, I start using with a, a few of my teammates and, of course, have a, get a couple home runs that night. And, and then I'm like, well, I better do it the next night. And, um and, and I did the next night, and he had the home run and a double, and then I didn't do it, and I, I went over for four with four strikeouts, and so I did it again and had another great night. And so I kept doing it through the through the playoffs in the World Series, and, and then afterwards it, it, it had kind of developed into a, an addiction, and I thought, ah, it's not that, you know, it's not that bad, you know. Um, but uh, during that offseason, I did talk to some people, you know that that um, that had dealt with addiction before, and, and actually went to a counselor. And um, I, you know, I felt like I had it, I had it on my own, um, but I didn't think I needed to stop drinking. And then uh, 2007, it just became where it was an everyday thing. You know, I was drinking. I had a I had a drink to to slow myself down, and I had a you know, use cocaine to speed myself up. It was like a balancing act, and and I was able to play. Um, of course, I didn't have as great a year as, as 2006, um, but it was like an every it was like an all time every 24 hour job. You know, there was days where I was playing with no absolutely no sleep. You know, so um, so what happened at the end of that year? What happened at the end of that year for you? Um, so at the end of that year. Um, I, I went to the Cardinals and I told them that I had a, an issue and, you know, they pretty much everybody knew. I didn't think anybody knew, but, you know, pretty much everybody knew. Right. Cause, cause it's um, obvious to yeah. everybody, but you were, the thing is, and I want to just interrupt you here for a second, because I've seen yeah. this in, in professional sports, you're producing and things have changed now from yeah. 20 years ago, but you are producing. So as long as you're producing, that's all that matters. And and today I, I I see a change. If you're producing, but something's wrong, they're going to address it. But back then, well, as long as you're still hitting home runs, driving guys in, we'll still put you in the lineup, whether you're whether you're hungover or not, or drugged out, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. You know, they. I don't think it was, you know, that they didn't care for me because they told me, hey, we're going to get you help, and and they did, and they sent me off. Um, you know, but uh, you know they really. I don't think any of them really dealt with um, addiction in their life. As a matter of fact, Walt Jockety sat down and, and started asking me questions like, "Hey, what what's it feel like? What you know? Tell me more." He was trying to understand. You know, and he was the general manager at the Cardinals, you know, correct? Yeah, yeah, and you know, Tony Larusa was you know very understanding. Uh, you know, and. Uh, but they were going to try to protect me, and then I don't. We still don't know how it happened, but somebody leaked it to the press, and the next day it was all over the news. Um, um, and so I didn't even get a chance to get to rehab before it was all over, you know, Sports Center and and everything. And then you know, my parents, no, everybody found out the wrong way, you know. And so then that 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 made me like feel guilt and shame again and 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 then i went to rehab and you know it was close to st louis and i, I tried using a you know an alias but everybody knew who i was and so i really didn't share it all you know i just kind of sat there and listened and after 28 days i thought okay i'm i'm good and i went back and i was in the lineup that night and i went one for three off zambrano i'm pretty sure or one for two and um, and I said, okay, good. I'm back to normal. You know, I, I, as long as I stay away from the drugs, I'm good. I can still drink. And, you know, I just, you know, the whole thing with, the, with AA is, you know, you got to admit that your life is unmanageable. You know, you're, you're powerless over alcohol and your life has become unmanageable. And for me, that was impossible to admit. Like I was powerless over anything. And so, you know, that started, that started downhill slide and it ended up, um, in 2008 in spring training after me getting in an accident, it, it, you know, I think it was December 31st, 
uh, of 2007, um, you know, and them finding out about it and, and then, you know, police issuing a warrant for my arrest. The Cardinals are like, you know, he's become a distraction. And I mean, even though I had signed a, a multi-year deal with them, they're like, you know, it's just too much of a distraction and they released me. And then, uh, and then I, I was like, man, I'm, I, then it was, I got hit with a ton, ton more guilt and shame and just disappointment, you know, in myself because I'm like, man, I was in the perfect team in this organization that I'd loved my whole life, you know, seeing my, you know, being with my dad for old timers games and going to St. Louis and, and then I, I ruined it all. And, you know, Atlanta gave me a, a shot. I, I could have been up with Atlanta within, you know, a couple days, but, um, cause I, I ended up signing with them, but I was still using and still, uh, drinking and, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, from when I was, when I went to St. Louis, um, for spring training in 2008, I had actually went to rehab and was totally, you know, good to go. But because I had gotten in the wreck before that and all this publicity came out, um, I think they just thought it was too, too much. And so, um, you know, so that was the I, end. I really so that was the end. That was the end of baseball for you. That was basically the end. Yeah, I, I went to Atlanta. I was in AAA, and then there was one night I'm like, I don't really want to be here anymore. And I just went out to a bar, and I ended up telling the team to go to the next t- town without me. I just, I was like in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and I just went on a bender, and just I ended up having to have somebody from Morris drive out and get me, and. uh that was it. That's how I ended. It was so, crazy. So I, let, me I you, parents, but... let me ask you. Let me let me ask you, Scott. We got about ten minutes left here. So the bottom sure. fell out, and you got heavy into to drugs and drinking, and this went on yeah. for for, yeah. for quite a while. You lot your kids left you. Yeah. You're, you're you're divorced. Your world has fallen apart. How so? So you went to rehab. I think you told me before about eleven or twelve times. You would yep. c- come out, think you're okay, and then you'd fall right back into it again. So right. so what happened that changed things that got you going in the right direction? How did you pull yourself out of, out of this hell? How would you do it? And what? Because here's the thing. People are going to listen to this show. My shows are podcasted everywhere. I'm getting actually several thousand listens to now on SoundCloud every week. Um there's a message here that I want you to share in our last p- part of the show about how you pulled yourself out of this, sure. because that's what I want people. To, they've heard how you got here. Now, what did you do to, to, to pull yourself out of it and, and stay clean? Yeah. So, you know, like you said, I, I tried everything. I went to rehab. I wasn't going to give up. Um, I knew statistically the more I went, the, the better chance I had of actually staying sober. Um, but it, it was very hard for me to, to really get over that powerless, you know, thing, you know, because I was, people had told me I couldn't do things before, and I, I, I proved them wrong, and I always thought I was different than everybody else. And, you know, through through the battle, I, I learned a lot from rehab. I learned a lot from counseling, from, you know, AA and NA, from Celebrate Recovery. Um, I was still a, a strong Christian, although... You know, my actions weren't, weren't very Christian-like, uh, a lot of the time. And, um, I just started, uh, you know, I, I ended up, um, you know, I kept battling. You know, I had, uh, a, a girl named Connie Boyer that kind of came into my life that started helping me with, uh, you know, diluting my drinks and things like that. Um, I, you know, I was smart enough to give up, uh, all control of everything, you know, the remaining, the, the few remaining assets that I did have that I didn't sell and spend, you know, blow. Um, I, I gave power of attorney to my parents. Um, they, they helped me save my, my property here in Morris and, and, um, and, and, you know, I, I, I got rid of cars. I got rid of credit cards. I got rid of access to cash. Um, and so I was able to stop drugs that way. Um, alcohol became, you know, Less and less, I, you know, for a while there, I was still able to, to get people to bring it to me for free, you know, or I'd trade them memorabilia or something like that. 
Um, then she started coming around and, and starting to help me, you know, shoot some people away that would, you know, stop by here that, you know, didn't have my best interest at heart. Um, and then she started bringing me to church and, and, uh, you know, to, to my kids games and things like that. And I saw that I, they needed me and, and, you know, I saw that, you know, the way, the way to get out of this was to give it, <clears throat> to give it to God and, and, you know, that's part of AA, too. You know, they, they talk about a higher power. You know, mine was, of course, Jesus. Um, and so I just started, you know, I started praying. I ended up at one point um, getting real sick with, um, uh, I, I started turning yellow, basically, at jaundice. And, and uh, you know, the doctors were like, you know, I'd already had, always had doctors saying, uh, you know, you're, your your liver enzymes are through the roof. Your your one of these days your liver is going to shut down, and and then all of a sudden I became jaundiced, and and they're like, you might only you got a twenty percent chance to live. You're going to need a liver transplant, and and then I just prayed that when I was in the hospital, God take away my cravings, and uh, that was you know beginning of uh, April 2018, and ever since that day I've never had uh, cravings, but. Um, what I did is I just started doing what I call picking up sticks, like getting up, you know, going outside, picking up sticks so you can mow, you know? Um, so, you know, first day was, was a few, few sticks. Next day was a, you know, wheelbarrow full. Next day I had a bonfire and I was trimming, trimming trees. And so I just took it slow. I just started trying to get out and get more involved in nature. And then, and then eventually, you know, with, True friends and true families. I blocked people that you know weren't good for me. Um, I had Tanya here to chase people away. You know, I surrounded myself with good people, uh, making good decisions, and, and away from people that were making bad decisions. And and I didn't go to places that were to my best interests. Uh, I didn't you know buy alcohol. I wouldn't have it around me. I wouldn't go to a place that had alcohol for a long time. And I knew that it was probably going to take me about, you know, 18 months to 24 months before my brain chemistry came back. That's one of the mistakes that I made in the past. I'd, I'd always prayed, you know, God, right, help me get sober. And then, you know, I'd, I'd let him drive for about eight months, nine months, a year. And then I'd say, okay, I got it. I got the wheel again. You know, let me drive. And I'd, I'd pull it right off, right off road, right off the cliff. And so this time I knew but I had to make it that long before my brain actually started working the way it was, it was supposed to work. And, and so I just really, um, you know, became involved in my church and, and uh, started going out and being involved with teaching kids and hitting and, um, and then, you know, eventually trying to help other people, um, that were just dealing with, you know, drugs and alcohol addiction and, and uh, other and so, addictions. And, and, and so, Scott, we've got about a minute and a half left here, so I want to wrap things up. You, sure. you have you have t- shared with us how you, how you hit the top, how you hit the bottom, and now how you pulled yourself out. What is the message, if you can, in, in about a minute here, share the message yeah, you want so, people to hear about what they need to do to help themselves, because you did it yourself. How can people do that for themselves? Yeah, you know, the, the big thing I always say is never give up. You know, it's never too late. Um, you can change your life. You can change your broken relationships. I have great relationships with my family and true friends and my kids again. Um, you know, the, the way to do it is admit that you got a problem. Most people won't admit that they have a problem. And then seek out. You because know, you can't do it on your own. There's no way. Um, you need a you need an army around you. So go out and find the true friends, your true roots. Because um, a lot of times, at, you know, when you're suffering, those people know you better than you know yourselves, and they'll, they'll help you find yourself. Um, you know, for me, God was was instrumental. He still is. Um, you know, it's the first thing I do when I wake up is thank Him for another day. And, you know, my crusade now, he gave me a second chance to share my story, to, to give people hope, you know. And um, for for years, I thought that I never could live. I went from never never drinking and never using to using every single day and thinking I'll never be able to get um, to live my life without it to, 
now, you know, me giving up basically, it used to be I gave up everything in my life uh, for one thing or two things, you know, drugs and alcohol, and, and now I've given up two things and for everything to be back in my life. And so um, just hold on to that hope, um, you know, do whatever you can. I mean, really, when they say it's an everyday thing, it's kind of like baseball. You know, we, we go out, we do our maintenance, we hit off the tee every day, um, and, and then we grind it out just through that game, through, through every pitch, you know. Um, and, and then all you look up at the end of the season and with spring training and playoffs, you played 215 games. It's the same thing with, with addiction. you got to do your, your maintenance every day, whether it be a meeting or counseling or or reading the Bible or, or working with another addict, and you just you just get through that day. You just Scott, get through every Scott I, I, we, we got we got to finish here. We could go on and on. Sure. I, I, I'm just enthralled yeah. listening to you. People want to get a hold of you because I'm sure there'll be people want to talk to you. How can they reach you? Um, you can reach out to me on on Facebook. You direct message me or, or uh, scottsbizio seven at uh, gmail dot com. Um, that's that's uh, just my name with the number seven and at gmail dot com or or like I said on uh, Spezio Baseball uh, is on Facebook. There's a Facebook page, so there's a way to get a hold of me. I I cannot thank you enough for joining us today. This has been a, a fascinating story you've shared with us. You know, you hit the top, you hit the bottom, and you pull yourself out. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest has been Scott Spezio. Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. Your message today is going to hit some people, and it's going to help some people, and that's why I want you on today. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Doc. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. People want to get a hold of me, as always. You can reach me at my office, 816-561-5556. Get a hold of me on my website, winnersunlimited.com. Send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. Our shows are podcasted everywhere on my website as well as on all the major sites. Stay safe. Take care. Talk to you next week.